has magic to it. When I'm at Ramah, I am home. Hi, I'm Talia from Ramah Poconos, and welcome to Kol Ramah, a Reshet Ramah podcast. So, welcome to our podcast today. Can you please introduce yourself and tell us what is your Ramah story? Hi, Talia. I'm so glad to be doing this. My name is Amy Scott Cooper, and I am the National Associate Director of Ramah Camps. And just a little bit of my biography before my story. I my, started working at Ramah when I was 16 going on 17. And my first Ramah, where I spent eight years on staff, was Camp Ramah, New England, Palmer. I then took a number of years off and um, had a few of my children, and we came back to Camp Vermont in the Poconos. Talia, that's your home camp, correct? Yes, it is. That's, that's great. I don't think you were there when I was there, uh, but I was there in 1998 and 1999. Uh, so I, I knew uh, a lot of your family uh, when I was there, and a lot of the people that I'm sure you've looked up to over the years, from like those two years at Ramah Poconos, and then I became the director of Camp Ramah Nayak and spent 20 years as the director of that camp and moved into the national office in, the, in recent years. So that's my Ramah biography, but you asked me what my Ramah story is. And I, I've shared a, a few Ramah stories with different leadership cohorts. Uh, I, I think my favorite one is probably the one Talia that you know, and that's like, how I, I, why did I fall in love with Ramah so quickly? I walked in to Ramah, New England, and immediately felt like I was just swept away. And at this, also at the same time, I immediately felt rooted. I immediately felt like this is the community that I've been searching for for most of my teenage years. Suddenly I looked around and I saw there are people just like me. I had spent uh, some years earlier living in Israel. My parents had questioned, should we make Aliyah? Would it work? It was during the Yom Kippur War. It was a hard time to be in Israel. And came back to suburban New Jersey community feeling somewhat lost and like not really finding other kids like you know, like who had had experiences like mine. And then I walked into Ramah where there were people who were dancing and there were people who were speaking Hebrew and they were Israelis and there was davening and there was Shabbos. And I said, this is, this is where I belong. And it was an incredible feeling, I think, for someone who had not yet turned 17. And along with it, I really felt like this is not only where I belong, but this is really where I want to work. I, I want to, I want to, do anything I can to support this community. And during the first Shabbat, the director of the camp, Debbie Hirschman, the, the only female director at the time of a Ramah camp, uh, came over and was saying hello to everyone. And remarkably, she knew everyone's name on Sevet that first Friday night, uh, a strong lesson that I've kept with me. And she said, Amy, how is it going? And uh, as I've shared with you, Talia, I said something that probably, probably felt so presumptuous from a 16 year old, but it was so true. I said, Debbie, I, I'm so happy. I, I, I feel so at home. And I think one day I'd like to become a Ramah director. 
and instead of rolling her eyes, instead of laughing, and instead of like moving on to the next person, which she could have done, she, she looked at me straight and like looked at me and said, well then Amy, we should sit and talk about that sometime. And she did. And the, the lesson that I think has motivated me throughout my entire Ramah career these 24 years is that when young adults want to talk to us about their Jewish trajectories, their Jewish careers, what they want to do next, we need to take them seriously. So looking back on your experiences over the years as director, what would you handle differently? Talia, it's such a great question. I, I think that every minute of the day, Ramah directors, Ramah leadership need to like, look at what they did, be proud of what they did, and then say to themselves, um, but I could do better. And I think the times I've been most frustrated with myself have been when I have said no too quickly and not modeled a pause, let me think about it. Can we, can we broaden how we are approaching this? How can I better be in my leadership a yes person? And how can I model that for my organization that we are a yes organization? Because yes means I'm willing to embrace change. Yes means I'm willing to listen to you. Yes means even though I've always thought personally, this is the way we need to do things, by saying yes to others, it means I'm not always right and I need to be able to build consensus and to think um, and take a little bit more time to be reflective about what you are asking of me. I think that's number one. Number two is something that I've also tried to model and I'm sure that there have been times that I've done it well, and I'm sure there are many more times that I have not done it well. And that's this feeling of creating utopia at our camps. And what I've always said is if you're going to create, create this utopia, and it, it's only going to last for eight or nine weeks, then uh, you have to be as perfect as you can be. You can't say... I was just a little off today, or I'm tired, or I need a break, or all the other ors that we could think of. If you're going to create that utopia, you need to take advantage of every minute of every day and give it your absolute all and all that energy. Can I look back as a director and say, I did that every day? I hope I did it most days, but can I say I did it every day? Uh, of course I can't, and I wish I could. Well, thank you for those inspiring words. Based on your experience as a camp director over these years, have you seen changes in expectations from parents over time? I think that uh, the, the expectation that camp is going to take care of children the way parents take care of children, that camp is going to be a place where parents can trust that we are physically going to take care of children, that we are emotionally going to take care of children, that we are going to prevent bullying in camp, that we are going to do everything to, to create happy, confident Jews. That expectation I don't believe has changed. I think that's been our sacred trust ever since I started when I was 16. Like I've been taught that is the sacred responsibility of every Ramah staff member. 
not just a director, of every Ramah staff member, if you're coming to work at one of our camps, that by signing that contract, you are signing a contract with every parent that is deciding that they can trust your institution um, to send their children. Uh, the expectations then are not on, the, on, on that level. The expectations are more that yeah, social media obviously has changed and parents' way of communicating with kids has changed. Parents being able to constantly want to like, see pictures of their kids and going online, all of that has changed. And I think the camps have um, struggled with how to create this environment where we want everyone to disconnect uh, in order to like reconnect, uh, but understanding that there is an entire parent body out there that is, uh, while they value that disconnection, still wants to be connected as much as possible to feel what's happening. Where is the coolest place in, you have traveled to with Ramah? Oh, I have had such amazing Ramah cool experiences. So I'll give you two. Um, one is I've been to the Ramah camps, some of the Ramah style camps. They, they use the same name, Ramah. They're part of the Maserati movement. They're not part of the National Ramah Commission in, uh, outside of Buenos Aires, and where we have built tents and uh, tried to understand how their camps work without speaking any Spanish and yet like being able to dance and to sing and to joyfully be together. So that's one experience I've done a few times. And I've taken a few groups to Ukraine to work at the Ramah style camps in Ukraine. So those have been the coolest travel opportunities I've had uh, with Ramah. But there are a bunch of others as well. Stick with Ramah for, uh, for a while. And God willing, once we can all travel again, I promise there'll be a lot of cool opportunities to keep traveling with Ramah. Sounds incredible. What career would you have if not a camp director or in Jewish education? Oh, Talia, I don't know. I wanted to be a Jewish educator since I was 16. Uh, maybe I instinctively, I used to play being a teacher when I was, was a kid and teaching the Aleph to my siblings, like uh, when I was a really little kid. I, I think I've, I'm one of these like fortunate people that I've known my entire life, I believe that I wanted to be a Jewish educator. That doesn't mean that I always knew, obviously I didn't always know I wanted to be a Ramah director. And that doesn't mean that even if I knew at 16, I wanted to be a Ramah director. It's not necessarily the case that I still felt that way at 24 or 25. I went to graduate school. I fell in love with formal teaching. I taught uh, high school. I directed a Hebrew school. And I really loved those opportunities. And it, it's only that a little bit later, um, as I was approaching uh, my early 30s, that I got a call from Ramah saying, are you interested in coming back uh, to, to be a Ramah director? So I, I guess, yes, I'm lucky that I've sort of known this is what I want to do, not sort of, I've known this is what I want to do. But uh, I also embrace the zigzag of not like getting to that goal of like, being a Ramah director or being a principal or whatever it's going to be, like everyone needs to allow him or herself to try on different types of hats in the field to see what really feels right. Sounds like a great experience for sure. How has camp changed for the better since you started your career? I think that for Ramah, we, 
have recognized and embraced the need for strong leadership teams. When I first came to Ramah, New England, there was a very, very strong female director, and I learned a lot from her, as there were many great directors across the movement. But if you looked at their offices during the year, many of them were one-person offices. And understanding the need to create a team approach and to have strong full-time associate directors or assistant directors and business managers and recruitment people has allowed us to really expand what we could do during the summer. I think as well that we have uh, really invested a tremendous amount in our facilities and understanding that camps still need to feel like camps and creative programming is always going to originate from, from Madrichim and from young adults. Along with it, there is a need for some really good programmatic facilities. And just to be able to make sure that the Chadar Ochel, that the Tzrifim, that they feel like camp, but that they also have been upgraded to so that people can be comfortable in our camps during the summer. So th those would be the, I would say, expanding our teams and investing in our programmatic and in our facilities has been um, a real pride for all Ramah camps. That is very important for sure. Ramah has grown so much over the last few decades and what are some areas Ramah could still grow in the future? You're asking me that question in, um, on May 8th, 2020. And it, I, I think it's important just to say that because it's so interesting. Had you asked me that question on, let's say, December 8th, I might have gone in different, a different direction in terms of expanding our camps and in terms of uh, continuing to build year-round engagement opportunities. Yes, those pieces are still out there, but on May 8th, 2020, in the midst of this pandemic, uh, Ramah needs to take care of its community. And it needs, first and foremost, to make sure that everyone in our community, campers, staff, alumni, shlichim, can feel whole and have a place to come back to when this is over. And um, that means keeping everyone healthy, making sure that we're doing everything the right way. That means that we're gonna have to increase scholarships to um, help families um, return to Ramah afterwards. And that means that there are a lot of pieces that I simply do not know. And I, God willing, you'll ask me that same question on May 8th, 2021, if you want to put it in your calendar, unless it might be Shabbat, I don't know. Uh, then uh, I hope I have a better answer for you. Yeah, life is definitely not normal. Right. So speaking of, in normal life, what does your regular day look like? Um, I get up very early in the morning. I, I'm a 5 a.m. I get up, drink two cups of coffee, and do around an hour and a half of emails and catching up from the night before. By the way, I go to sleep at 10 p.m. most nights during the during the year. That's how I get up at five. Wow. Um, yes, exactly. I go for a run, and I really value exercise and have made it a commitment to exercise to go running every day. And uh, then I get ready to go to work. I live in Riverdale. I take, I've taken the subway to work every day. Uh, my office is at the Jewish Geological Seminary. And I work with an 
great team there. And during the day, we spend our day in meetings, obviously answering a slew of calls and emails. My favorite parts of the day, I have two, is, is our team meetings where we are thinking about our future and doing forecasting and making decisions that are going to impact the next few months or next few years in terms the next few years in terms of Vermont programming. That's number one. Number two is really part of the national Vermont culture is virtually every day we eat lunch together. Uh, we all bring our own lunch, but for like 30 minutes we eat lunch together. And it's not, there's no work agenda and it's not a meeting. It's just a time to catch up with each other. And sometimes great ideas come out of those lunches, but more important, it makes us really cohesive as a team. And something that a lot of institutions do not do, people sort of eat at their tables, they say they're too busy, they can't waste the time. To me, what I've learned is this is not a waste of time. This is a way of like really taking care of each other. And I think ultimately it makes us far more productive when we go back to work at the end of lunch. I come home at around, um, I don't know, six or so, eat dinner, um, watch the news. And I usually, though I don't recommend this, I really don't, but I usually do one more round of email catch up uh, before going to bed. Wow, that's... And, and I always ask everyone about what's on Netflix. Right now I'm watching Fauda. Oh. Have you watched it? I have not, but I've heard amazing things. Amazing. Yeah. So how have your responsibilities changed over the course of your tenure with Ramah? Well, I started when I was 16. And uh, so uh, it's, uh, it started uh, uh, when I was too young to be a counselor. I was an, an educational assistant was my first job. So um, as I've grown, I've taken on, worn all different types of hats, uh, counselor. I was Roche Da for four years, Roche Chinuch at Ramah Poconos, and then director. So I think that sort of answers the question. That's how it's evolved. It's, um, but I, I think even in the 20 years as director, the, it was important to look at each summer as a new opportunity for changing and, and evolving as a director. And and I think that that's an important principle for anyone in any field that every year is about renewal and you can't just say, well, I, I'm doing this job. I just am continuing to do the same job. Every job has to constantly be, how am I evolving? How is my institution evolving? And how am I personally evolving? What are your crisis management strategies? First of all, it depends on the crisis, of course, but... I think with each crisis, uh, you have to have your team in place, a team that you 100% trust for any crisis. And that team, the minute a crisis hits instinctively, not because you've called them, just knows they need to be with you. And also, without too much guidance, understands what each person's role is going to be. And uh, over the years, I've faced several profound crises at camp where uh, having that very, very strong team 
has allowed the camp community to focus on on the crisis and and ultimately move forward. And what's interesting about camp crisis management teams and and leading them is that taking care of the team members during a crisis right after a crisis and then sometimes for decades after the crisis is really important i've seen that at ramon nyack people that have faced profound sadness at camp often return to camp as that cohort just to be able to still lean on each other many many years later so uh, i guess that's the strategy i think the hard thing about any crisis management is there is the inner turmoil and and focus of that crisis combined with being a very public person that every Rama director talks about how do you go out and still lead and motivate your entire organization when behind the scenes you might be dealing with something very significant how do all of the Rama camps work together we're blessed we uh work together as a real movement. Directors are constantly constantly in communication, meet together directors and associate and assistant directors. Uh we call ourselves Ramdir, R A M D I R, the Rama Directorate. Um so we uh are always uh, in virtual meetings, but typically four to five times a year we are also in person gatherings together and those are really really important because for us these are the people that understand what we each like we understand each other and I can tell you that like over this summer it when any ramad director needs help or is trying to figure out how to tackle an issue he or she is going to first pick up the phone and speak to fellow ramad directors because they are the people that are doing or in the trenches doing the same kind of work i think that it's also important that we feel like very much aligned with the movement with the vision with the mission uh we are together as we hire shlichim we're together when we train shlichim we're together at all of the rama training programs and there is real nachas and joy in watching one another lead these training sessions because obviously we all have our own styles but sometimes we sometimes we'll giggle in the background and say oh my god like we're saying the same things we haven't compared our notes but we're all saying the same things because because our remark camps really are so similar in terms of our approach to to how we train matrichim or obviously our our hashkafa is very very similar so what makes ramad different from other camps and movements You know, it's hard to say because I I've um almost all of my time has been at Rama. I could tell you that there are great camp movements out there. There really are. Uh I think for Rama it's we've all embraced this particular hashkafa and uh we have all trained our staffs in very very similar ways. I would say that the allegiance from um being an institution that's well over 70 years old right now or 70 years young right now means that there are multi-generational families that love the camp dearly and support the camp and still look at it as their home. And I think that feeling of 
home at, at your particular camp, but home within the movement is something that really distinguishes Ramah. By the way, just having the name Ramah, like if you look at other camps and other movements, they all have their own name of a camp. We are all Ramah. The minute you walk into any Ramah camp, you are going to feel at home. It's really so special. What advice do you have for aspiring Jewish professionals and camp professionals? Talk to as many people as possible. Volunteer and get into the trenches at your own camp in as many ways as possible. Learn how to do every job at camp if you want to be a camp director. And that is not only the educational jobs. See if you can ride on the maintenance truck. See if you could do anything in the kitchen. Learn how to work the dishwasher. I'm really serious because when you become a Ramah director, you're going to need to know how every system in your camp operates. So try them out right now. And by the way, it's a lot of fun if you have the opportunity to do that. And embrace other opportunities. Don't be only focused on there is one path to take that goes back to my zigzagging. When people say, I want you to consider exploring X, try it on, see what it's like. Uh, you might be really surprised that you are a super, super, super X when you had no idea you had it in you to do it. If this is different, what advice would you give yourself when you were 18 to 22 age range? I think. It's such a hard question. I think that with age comes a lot more anava, a lot more humility, a lot more of um, what I don't know how to do well. I think probably my 18 to 22 year, period, year old period, if I were looking back at myself then, I would be saying, Amy, have more humility right now. Don't, don't, don't pretend it's okay to say, I do not know, I need to learn. And uh, so I think that's the advice I would give myself. That is very important for all of us to keep in mind. So our last question for you today is, what is your favorite part of Ramah? So I wanna say one thing. I, I, it, that's probably the hardest question Talia you're asking me, but. I want to give you advice that Rabbi, I want to tell you what Rabbi Mitch Cohn said to me. Um, he is, he was a few years into being a Ramah director of Ramah Canada when I became director of Ramah Nayak. And he said to me, let me give you some advice. And I was, you know, here I am like new director taking up my notebook. And this is what he said. And now said, here you guys are today. We are, we've been working together for such a long time. I feel very fortunate. So he said, whatever um, you do every day, remember to go out there and do something that you love doing. Have fun. Remember why you are at camp. He said, for me, this is Mitch speaking, not Amy. For me, it's basketball. And many of you who are listening to this podcast have seen him play basketball with all of you, like whenever we have the opportunity. So okay. for me, yeah, and he's, he's really good. He's still really good. Uh, for me, I, um, I love dancing. doesn't mean I'm really good at it, but I love dancing. And I made it a point from year one of being a director, create um, a dance culture and be out there and have fun doing it. And uh, so I like, that's probably when I look at 
my years of being a director and I think about what do I miss and what did I, what do I, like, what did I love about it? I loved that every morning at Ramah Nayak, we had a migrash that had over 1,000 people dancing for 20 to 30 minutes wow. with Israeli flags waving and shtick that evolved. And it, it was just a magnificent, magnificent piece and remains a magnificent piece of the culture of the camp. That's amazing, really. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on our Colbert Ramah podcast. We can't wait to see what the future holds for Ramah. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really enjoyed this time together, Talia, and I look forward to seeing everyone in person very soon. Mm -hmm.